No, I'm on. I haven't used this Britney Spears one for a little while. Oh, we're good. Thank you, Mark. Amazing. So this always makes me want to feel like I should sing and dance, but don't worry, I won't. So as Nigel mentioned already, we have our Advent candles, which you can pick up on the way out. These start this Wednesday, so if you haven't got one, do grab one. And if you know somebody who is on a journey to find out some more about Jesus, why don't you give one to them too? Take one. We do have plenty. Um, and if they'd like to follow us on social media, it might be just a good prompt to be thinking about who Jesus is, who the reason for the season of Christmas is. Now, of course, as well as Advent candles, there are Advent calendars. Anyone got an Advent calendar? Hands up if you do. Laura? Oh, no, a few more. Great. I don't know what kind you've got. You know, maybe it might be when, like when I was a child, we used to have those little paper ones which kind of you open. And my mum always used to buy us a proper Christmas one. She still does, actually, for the kids with the proper Christmas story. And it's got to the stage in our family now where the children know they open number one a long time ago in the land of, you know, and they can tell you the Christmas story, which is a good way to learn it. But, of course, there are lots of ways to celebrate Advent with different calendars now. I have seen online that you can obviously get chocolate calendars. Anyone got a chocolate one? Yeah, great. Anyone got a cosmetics one? Oh, yes, somebody at the back, thank you. Anybody got a coffee advent calendar with a different coffee every day? No, you're somebody, yes. Anything else I've missed? Cheese? Oh, tea, a tea advent calendar. We could do a cheese advent calendar. A cheese, oh, there is a cheese one, okay. The one that I really like the look of that I'm going to mention to Nigel because there is still time is there is a diamond a day throughout Ben. <laughs> Fancy that. Look, he's run upstairs to do worship with the kids. He'll be back in a minute. So afterwards, just give him a wink and say, don't forget Joe's Advent calendar. That all starts on Wednesday because people think that Advent starts at the beginning of December. But actually today is Advent Sunday. And so we're starting our Advent series, or carrying on from what Paul taught last week, um, thinking about Advent today. Advent is the time when we celebrate, when we look forward with anticipation. We're looking forward to Christmas where we celebrate Jesus coming for the first time, Jesus' birth, obviously. But we're also looking forward to his return, to his second coming, to his coming again. And that's why for us, we are in this season of expectant waiting. We're waiting for Christmas, we're waiting for that glorious day, but waiting for Jesus' return and looking to see how we can cooperate with him even now. Oh, and I did mean to say hello and welcome to those of you who are watching online afterwards. Those of you in the room, you may have seen we've got some cameras rigged up just on the, um, the pillar at the back. And they are just focused on me, lucky me, um, not you. So if you're sitting in the congregation today, don't worry, nobody can even see the back of your head. But our aim is to be able to stay connected with those who can't make it to be with us on a Sunday morning for different reasons. So thank you for tuning in um, later on. And our team are amazing. They do their very best to get the talk available um, by early afternoon on Sunday where that's possible. So if on a Sunday you're unable to come because you're unwell or for any other reason, then you can tune in later and kind of keep up with what's going on. So thanks to Chris and to Stephen um, at the back and the team who make this happen. Now, as Nigel mentioned, two weeks ago, he started talking about waiting, and lots of us resonated with that theme. We've had a lot of feedback. And waiting is a fact of life. But in this season, there seem to be a number of, who, number of us who are feeling frustrated and who are feeling weary as we wait for God's promises to be fulfilled, or we wait for our circumstances to change. And Nigel reminded us that even in these times of waiting, there are the things that we can learn about God and we can learn about ourselves. 
And then last week, Paul introduced our Advent theme. He was reflecting on the names of Jesus. He talked about the importance of Jesus' names, not just as a label, but as a description of his character. And in fact, not even just a description of his character, but an invitation to experience the truth of who he is in a way that brings change into our lives and into other people's lives. And that's kind of our heart behind these Advent candles, that as we burn the candles and we see on day one, Jesus is Lord, we wouldn't go, oh yeah, Jesus is Lord. But we'd be able to experience what that means in our lives and maybe pray and say, Lord Jesus, show me, what does it mean for you to be Lord of my life? Where in my life are you not in charge? Can you just show that to me? How can I get closer to you as I understand this more deeply? And you know, Paul's was a great talk, as was Nigel's. And if you missed either of them, you can catch up with them on YouTube or via the website. And you know, as we look into the Bible, I've just become kind of particularly attentive to the names of Jesus in the Bible in these past weeks. And as you read the Christmas story, you kind of almost fall over names of Jesus. So last week, do you remember that there were two particular names that Paul focused on? Who was here and remembers what they were? Quick pop quiz. He was talking about the story of Mary and Joseph. Thankfully, he's not here this morning, otherwise he'd be gutted. He was talking about Mary and Joseph and Elizabeth, and there were two names of Jesus he focused on. One was about him being our saviour or deliverer, and the other was being Emmanuel, God with us, and how God revealed himself in those names because those were the characteristics that Mary and Joseph needed to know about in their situation. And this week, I came across a really wonderful name of Jesus that I've never spotted before. It's in John chapter 1. Now, John was, one of, was Jesus' cousin. He was a contemporary of Jesus. And as he was explaining to people who Jesus was, this is what he said. Can you ping up the first slide, please, Mike? He said, someone's coming after me who's far greater than me. He existed long before me. And it goes on in verse 18 to say this. No one has ever seen God, but the unique one who is himself God is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. Has anyone seen that before? The unique one. Isn't that the most amazing description of Jesus? There is no one like him. When we say somebody or something is unique, we mean it's one of a kind, it's unparalleled, it has no equal, it's incomparable. And isn't that so true of Jesus? You know, we say Jesus is our friend, but no one's got a friend anything like Jesus. You know, the Bible talks about Jesus as the lover of our souls. Well, you may have been loved by many people, and yet nobody is like him. He is the unique one. And it left me thinking about some of those other passages around that we read around Christmas. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, there's a very familiar one. You can see that on the screen too. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and his name will be called... And I love this. He's not just called Counselor. He's called Wonderful Counselor. He's not just called God. He's called Mighty God. He's not just called Father. He's called Everlasting Father. He's not just a person of peace. He is the Prince of Peace. This unique one who we are going to be celebrating at Christmas, who we can know each day of our lives, is somebody who is incomparable, who is unlike any other. And in that passage, John did say that Jesus has revealed God to us. So when we see Jesus, we see what God's like. When we know God, we know what Jesus is like. Now today we're going to do something slightly different. We're going to hear a story 
from Richard, or many of you will know him as Dickie. I interviewed him on Zoom this week because his story ties in with what we're talking about. It includes an active and an expectant waiting, and also how the recent circumstances of his life with Martina have highlighted two particular names of God to him. So there's a little interview now, and then, well, get comfortable because it's about just over 15 minutes, and then I'll come back and talk a little bit more after that. So if you can play the video, that'd be great. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, I'm really looking forward to hearing some of your story and I'm sure that lots of people in the church family are as well. Um, but before we jump in, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and about um, how long you and Martina have been part of the church family here? So um, we have been part of the church family for four or five years uh, and really enjoyed our time coming. Uh, just recently, because of COVID and because of Martina's eye issues, we've not been coming in person. But we've been attending in virtual, uh, virtually and enjoying the YouTube videos and uh, loving our life group, uh, which has given us uh, a huge amount of encouragement. That's wonderful. Thank you. And um, Richard, tell us a little bit about your history, kind of with the jobs that you've, you've been involved in, um, particularly because it has pertinence about what we're going to talk about today. So um, I left school and did a degree in civil engineering, and then I joined the army as a, a military engineer and served for a full 32 years, amazingly enough. Uh, in that time, I spent three years in Afghanistan. Um, first of all, in 2003, when I went to the north of the country to set up a, a small band of determined men who were charged with getting the Northern Alliance to stop fighting each other and uh, become part of the government. And then in 2006 and seven, I was the chief engineer for the whole of the country so did lots of work building, rebuilding Kabul airport, rebuilding the ring road, building bridges and all sorts of water supply and electricity. And then in 2009-10, I spent a year in Kandahar as the chief of staff of the force in the south of Afghanistan. So I served all around the country. Uh, and then uh, I came back to Wiltshire uh, and served uh, my last two jobs as in charge of army training. Uh, and then, if you like, the personnel director for the army as, as director general personnel. So quite quite different jobs. Right. Okay. And when you. when I oh, sorry I should have added when I left I then started working in Africa, and right. I, I took what I'd learnt in the military, particularly about reconstruction and development, uh, to work with a foundation that worked with African governments, helping them improve their economies. Amazing, and that's probably a story for another day. I know we've sat and had some conversations, and you've told us some of the stories of things that have gone on there, which is really fascinating. But today, I'd love us to focus on Afghanistan. So, from your time there, and the way, from when we've talked, you obviously have a love for that country and the people there. And when um, Afghanistan came back into the news in the summer, um, there was a lot of concern around. And um, I know that as a church family, many of us were thinking, how can we respond? What can we do when there was a fighting coming towards the fall of Kabul um, in August? And lots of people were wondering how to be involved. And you found a really practical way to get involved. So why don't you tell us a little bit about, about that? So I, I'd sort of not been really thinking about Afghanistan after I left the army, been thinking about Africa. And then in May, I received out of the blue... Um, uh, a LinkedIn message from one of my old interpreters from Mazar Sharif, who I think I'd last seen in 2007. <clears throat> and he told me he'd applied for the scheme to come to the UK. Um, and I'd always 
talked all of my interpreters, encouraged them to stay because they were bright, capable people and they had a role to, to do in, in building the country. But you could see the situation was uh, deteriorating. So we just chatted really over LinkedIn until about July when he said, look, I applied in April, but I'm still not hearing anything. I'm getting a bit worried. So I emailed on behalf to, of, uh, of him into the system and very quickly they allocated him a, or, or gave him a relocation letter. Uh, and then he spent quite a bit of while, quite a bit of time getting emails saying you need to come do your biometrics. Uh, and while all this was going on, Kabul fell. Um, and then I spent a lot of time, by now I'm waking up and getting properly engaged and a couple of my other interpreters have got in touch with me. Uh, and we tried hard to get them on the evacuation, <clears throat> but unfortunately, uh, my two main interpreters from Mazar and one of my interpreters from Kandahar all missed uh, the evacuation. Uh, so then started the journey that has been this autumn. And obviously many people have, will have seen the events unfolding in the news and the kind of devastating situation for so many people. And so what were your concerns about the interpreters not being able to get out? Well, Nobody really knew what the Taliban was going to be like. Um, and most people expected that there would be retribution, particularly for those people who had worked with the West or had worked to promote Western values. And I think we've seen some of that playing out since. So I must admit, when both of my interpreters, who we actually had on a bus at the gates of the airport when the bomb went off, missed the evacuation, I was properly depressed. Um, and I remember praying and saying, you know, we've we've got to do something. You can't not leave leave these people behind. Um, and there is a good saying in the military, which I have found to be true, <clears throat> in that you don't find many atheists in the foxhole. Because, of course, when you are dealing with events like this, you know, everything else is stripped away. It's intensely personal. You realise the stakes involved. Um, and Martina got heavily involved and she started to form a prayer group. And, you know, we're hugely grateful to um, all of the people in Winchester who prayed throughout that time. Because now, some months later, all of those guys are safely out. And I'll come back to the story of how we got them out, but... You know, often people will think their prayers haven't been answered. And, you know, if you'd have asked me on the 31st of August, have my prayers been answered? No, they hadn't, because my two interpreters, who I'd been trying hard for all of August to get out, were stuck. Um, but now they're all out. And in fact, my drive to get those two out has helped me get about 270 people out. Wow, that's amazing. So you know, you look back to the, the very beginning and go, you know, what a horrible situation that was. Uh, and, you know, if, if, if my original prayers had been answered and my two interpreters had got on the aeroplane and left in August, you know, I would have been happy that that had happened and I never would have done anything else. Uh, and maybe lots of other people would have been left behind. Um, so, you know, I think you've always got to sort of evaluate what's happening and realise that there is a bigger plan and realise that it's not only on, it's not your responsibility, you've just got to do your part. Uh, and of course now I can sit here relieved 
Uh, but it, on the 31st of August, it did not seem like that. It seemed as though uh, they'd all been left behind and there was complete chaos and uh, it, was, it looked impossible as to how we might get them out of the country. Wow. And, you know, I think that's a really powerful thing to remind us of, actually, because so many people are in the middle of a story, aren't we? Um, and we are praying about things, about situations, praying for, for people and not seeing what we would long to see happen come to pass and not knowing what God is going to do. And yet with the benefit of hindsight, you're able to look back and see how things have unfolded. So that's thank you for that reminder. That's really wonderful. Mm. So can you tell us a little bit about the story then of what you've been doing? Yeah, so the first, um, of course, there are a number of problems when you've been left behind. Um, <clears throat> uh, several, lots of the families I was later became dealing with, and initially I was just dealing with three. Um, one of them, family of seven, father, son, one of the brothers and his family, uh, only two passports no visas um so you know how on earth do you get somebody like that out of the country um the other interpreter his wife unfortunately during the their evacuation from uh mazar to kabul because these guys were up north so when their mazar fell they came to kabul uh, her wife who was quite heavily pregnant lost the baby and she actually had to go into hospital to have an induced stillbirth on the day the Taliban invaded Kabul and they literally turned up to the hospital only for the doctors and staff to run away. And so we had to find another hospital for the procedure to be carried out. So, you know, that was that was quite a sort of difficult element of the evacuation. Um, <clears throat> and so she was, they then spent some time trying to get on, on the evacuation, but she was so traumatized after the event of the stillbirth and spending a couple of days in the crowd at the Barren Gate that the idea of making a tough border crossing um, through crowds and all of the difficulties, you know, she just was not capable of coping with that. Um, so I found myself really working on individual cases and looking at what sort of documents people had and, and, and reactivating all of my old contacts in Afghanistan, which I, I hadn't had for a long time. It, it took me about two weeks to work with people and suddenly things started to open up and it was very interesting how how all of the prayers of the prayer group and things opening up just fitted together uh, not once you know multiple times uh, and that's why uh, both Martina and I are just hugely grateful for all those people who are praying in the background because suddenly things became suddenly things that had seemed literally impossible became easy and um the family of seven with only two passports i uh, just fell across the route uh, to get them out of the country and in fact they were the first family we got out of the country um and they're now all safely in the uk and being you know going through the sort of system but if you'd have said to me would this family be the easiest and would they be you know would they, they looked the hardest but they became the easiest. Uh, and the family where the wife had, had had the trauma, in the end, uh, we managed to get them out by air in a nice, safe way. Wow, that's wonderful. And having been part of the, the prayer group, I know that you were posting 
obviously confidential and um, appropriately disguised information, but specific enough so that we could pray about different situations. Um, and it was amazing to see answers, you know, please pray for, the, for a flight at this time or pray for this or pray for that. And, you know, that has been a wonderful thing to be part of the journey, especially when watching the news, many of us felt that there was so little we could do, but actually being able to pray was a very real and very active thing that we could do and be and partner with you kind of who was doing the work on the ground if you like yeah and we really appreciate it you could really you could really feel it and you could sense it and you know you there are you you go through times in your life where things just do not seem to fit together and then suddenly they fit together and i honestly did not in my wildest dreams believe that all this would fit together you know i embarked on the the project on the beginning of september with a you know, determination, but I had absolutely no idea how we I would get it done or how it would pan out. And it, and it was remarkable just seeing ways opening that you would just never imagine. Um, and I just find myself reflecting, particularly over the last few weeks as it's drawing to a bit more to a close or getting a bit more into sort of steady state, you know, what what would have happened if my the two interpreters I set out to really help had actually made the flight? You know, I never would have done any of this. And, and I think that's quite a salutary reminder that that you might have your plans your personal plans uh but but god may have other ones and they may, may be much bigger and much better so as you know richard in this advent season we are reflecting on the names of jesus and how those um kind of reflect his character how they show us what he's like and so as you think about your experiences over these months are there any particular characteristics of Jesus or names of God that have had particular meaning or resonance for you? Yes, uh, I think um, the two I would focus on are, first of all, rock, my rock. Because I think when you're in a really difficult place, and uh, you know, I certainly felt I was in a difficult place at the end of August, um, and I have found that in numerous times in my military career, um you know everything else is stripped away you know you are you're you're right back to basics um and i have always found that prayer in that time is like super valuable and your relationship with god in that time is a, is like super valuable he is the he is the rock you can lean on when you're in a really difficult place certainly the events of you know august proved that to me again and reminded of me of again so I you know you know whatever trouble you're going through in life God is there and he's there for you and he's there for you in the difficult times uh, and, and people sort of tend and I've noticed this with soldiers across my military prayer you know and hence that phrase you know there are very few atheists in the foxhole because when the going is really tough people really do begin to ask the really key questions about life and then when the going becomes easy again and normal, sometimes it's a bit easy to drift away. Um, but absolutely, you know, God is my rock. Um, I think the second name is my redeemer, because look what's happened over the over the course of the, the few months. You know, f families that I thought were, you know, almost unsavable, we have saved. Um, uh, and, you know, that's just, uh, it's just remarkable and how they were saved is remarkable so for me i think uh, based on the last my experiences the last few months those two names really really jump out and you know 
you can be saved from the most difficult circumstances and the most seemingly impossible situations, you know, whatever it is. That's so powerful, isn't it? And, you know, I think when we experience these things, when we experience these characteristics of God, they become almost like a, a badge that we wear or a mark that's on us, something that you're not going to forget you know, having experienced him as your rock in this and many other situations, and also as the redeemer, the one who rescues and saves and seeing that in practice is is just part of your story that makes you who you are in your, your kind of following of Jesus, doesn't it? So powerful story. Thank and is there anything else that you have kind of experienced of God in this time? Any new, new things that he, you feel like he's shown you? I don't think I've learned new things I've just been reminded of old lessons you know I, I've served in Afghanistan I've served in the Balkans I've had you know pretty pretty um, difficult times and you get you get reminded of the core of your relationship with God in those times um, and sometimes when life's going easy, it's it's a bit easy to sort of drift away from that and not realise it. Um, so being reminded of the core of the relationship, I think, has definitely been a positive to come out of these few months. Wonderful. Thank you. Is there anything else you'd like to say to us as a church family at this time? Just apart from Martina and myself both hugely appreciate all the prayer support we've had over the, over the time. You know, it just made all the difference. It really, really did. When things looked absolutely impossible, to know that people were praying was just hugely encouraging. And, and, and look at the results. Prayers do get answered. I mean, one of my other things I'm involved in is the eternal wall of answered prayer. And, you know, these last few months have certainly given us a, given us a few more prayers uh, to put on the wall. And obviously with the eternal wall of prayer, you have um, told us about that in the past and we will put a link to that in next week's newsletter if people would like to follow up and find out a little bit more. Lovely. Well, thank you so much for your time, Richard. It's been great to hear some of this story and hear about the, the names of God that really have kind of become more, even more meaningful for you in this time. And we look forward to seeing you and Martina when we can. But until then, it's lovely to know that you're connecting with us online. So it's great, great to have you with us today. Thank you. Wow, wasn't that amazing? Amazing story. And you know, the last that I heard of um, from Dickie was that there are 274 people who's enabled to escape, which by my rough reckoning is like three times us here. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that wonderful? And I know and a whole crowd of you were part of that praying team. And so for me, I just think, oh, wow, what a privilege to be a tiny part of life change for those people. Now, obviously, the situation in Afghanistan is still desperate for so many people. And I did ask Richard how we might continue to pray. And he asked us specifically to pray for people who are still looking to come out and have safe passage. And also for the humanitarian crisis, which is um, unfolding, really. There's not enough food getting to people who need it. And I wondered if we might stand and pray now. And so there's a slide up. Um, and... Today, what I'll do is I'm going to pray. I've got the kind of the bullet points of the themes, and I'm just going to pause in between each one. And so you could 
say your prayers. You might want to pray out loud. You might want to pray just in the quiet of your heart. So, Father, today we want to pray for the crisis in Afghanistan. We are so grateful for the prayers that you've answered and the lives that have been changed through the work carried out by so many governments and NGOs and individuals like Dickie and his colleagues. But today we just hold this desperate situation before you. Father, we pray for those who are choosing to flee and we pray for safe passage for them. You might just want to add your prayers in the quiet. Father, there there are many who have chosen to stay and others who've had no choice. And we pray for them for courage, provision and help. With the humanitarian crisis unfolding, we pray for mercy for the hungry, Lord, for solutions and reliable ways to get food and necessities to the Afghan people. And today we pray for your church in Afghanistan, for hidden and secret believers. Father, we pray for protection for them, for safety, security, and strength. We pray that your peace will fill their hearts and your love will overflow through them. And we pray like Richard that they will know you as their rock and their redeemer. Amen. So please do sit down. And if you'd like to continue to pray for Afghanistan, and particularly for the needs of um, the church there, persecuted believers, um, Open Doors is a charity who have some great resources that can help do that. So do check them out online. Now, in this last section, we're just going to think about the names of God that um, Richard highlighted. The first is that he talked about knowing God as his rock. Now, the obvious metaphor of the rock points to God being strong and steadfast and consistent, not easily moved or shaken, and a refuge in times of need. And Dickie mentioned that he'd had a number of different occasions through his life and his career where he's needed to know God as his rock. There are a number of different places in the Bible we find it, particularly there's a a a couple of verses in Deuteronomy 32, verses 3 and 4, and it says... I will proclaim the name of the Lord. Oh, praise the greatness of our God. He is the rock. His works are perfect and all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is he. And in most of the Old Testament references, God is described not just as a rock, but the rock. Because the Israelites understood that he was not just one source of strength and protection. He was their only hope, their only strength, their only refuge. 
And maybe you're in a place where you feel that you're wavering. Maybe you're in a place where it feels like the ground underneath you is shaking or is slippery. And the invitation is to come and know God and to know Jesus as your rock. To know him as a firm place to stand. And maybe that's one of the names of of God, the names of Jesus that you might like to reflect on this week. And ask him, God, show me how you're my rock. When it's easy to go to other places for a solution, to try and find our security in other things, whether that is shopping or the internet or relationships or whatever it is, think about how we might focus our attention on him in that moment and find him to be our safe place. The second name that Dickie mentioned was Redeemer. And that's a bit more of an unfamiliar name for some of us. It's well used in the Bible. In the Old Testament, there are over 150 references to redeem or redeemer or redeemed. It was a well-known kind of sense or phrase to the Israelites. In Leviticus, it's a book that's full of this word. Because Leviticus is a place where Moses wrote down the rules and regulations to help Israelites, kind of God's people, to stay in good relationship with him and right relationship with him. And another word for redeem is free or restore. And so in those days, if an Israelite got in trouble, if they were poor and they couldn't afford to keep their land or to keep their possessions or even look after themselves, they could sell these things to somebody else. They could sell themselves into slavery. They could sell a field that had belonged to their family. But there was a provision that God made that these things could be bought back and the word was redeemed. And so if I couldn't afford to keep my belongings, I could sell them to somebody else, but somebody else in my family could come along and actually buy them back for me, could restore those things to me, the rightful owner. And many of you will be familiar with a story in the Bible, the story of Naomi and Ruth. It's a really short story, and if you haven't read it or you haven't read it recently, I recommend that you look it up. Because here, the whole sense of redeemer is really well described. In summary, Naomi and Elimelech were a Jewish couple who had two sons. There was a famine in Israel, so they had to move to another country called Moab. And tragically, Elimelech died, and so Naomi was left as a widow. Now, she had two sons, and they got married. And really sadly, her sons died too. And so there was Naomi, and she had two daughters-in-law. And in those days, not having a guy around was a big deal, because men were needed for provision and for protection. And so Naomi, who was gutted and devastated as you would be by the turn of these events, decided to go back home, to go back to Bethlehem. And her daughters-in-law said that they would go with her. But she persuaded one of them, Orpah, to stay with her own family. Because going back to another country and not having any provision and not having somebody to look after you meant that you were going to be in a desperate place. And yet one of these daughters-in-law, Ruth, decided that she was going to stay. She said, I'm coming with you. Now, if you haven't read it before, I'm sorry, spoiler alert, there is a happy ending to the story. Because when they get there, one of the things you could do if you were very poor is you could go around the fields and pick up the bits of harvest that were left over. And Naomi, the daughter-in-law, no, sorry, Ruth, the daughter-in-law, did this. She collected up the harvest and she was spotted by the fellow who owned the field. He caught, she caught his eye and he asked who she was and it turned out that he was a distant relative of Naomi. And because of the ways the laws were written, 
he was able to step in and to buy back the land and also protect Naomi and Ruth. And actually, Ruth became his wife. And the amazing thing of the story is it goes on and actually they were ancestors of Jesus. And so this whole sense of redemption is written into the history of Jesus. And the New Testament tells us that Jesus is our redeemer. But we were made to be in friendship and relationship with God. That was the purpose of us being created. And yet so many of, well, all of us, the Bible says, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That means we've done stuff that breaks that relationship, that we can't be in that place with God. And yet Jesus came as the Redeemer. Jesus came by living a perfect life, by dying his death on the cross, in order to buy us back. Ephesians 1.7, it says, In him, that's Jesus, and there's a slide for that one, thank you, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in according with the riches of God's grace. And I put it up in two different translations. It's the same verse, but it says he's so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom. The sense of the redeemer being redeemed, being bought back. We sang it this morning, didn't we? We sang, chains will fall, prisons break at the sound of Jesus' name. Lives made whole, hearts awake at the sound of Jesus' name. And that's the truth that we can know and we experience. But it's a choice that every one of us is invited to make. And so today, I wondered if we might think about some of those questions that Paul asked last week, and there's a slide for those. When we were looking at Emmanuel and Saviour last week, and the other names of God, he said, which of these names stand out to you? Why don't you use that name to send to you? You might want to repeat it. So for you, you might think rock or redeemer. Which is the name that stands out to you today? And the good question is, so what is God trying to say to you about one of those names? And when he shows that to you, what kind of hope or faith does that release in you? Now, as God shows us things, revelation always has implications. He doesn't show us stuff just so that we can get cleverer or just so we can answer a Bible quiz. He shows us stuff because he wants it to change us. And so those, that revelation requires a response. And then I added a question onto Paul's list, which is, so who do you know that needs this truth in their life? And how can you share it with them? It might be there's someone that you can talk to who's in a sticky situation and who feels that they need Jesus as their rock. It might be like Dickie, that you're in a place where you've got an opportunity to help people really practically. It's not always just telling people. Sometimes it's showing people the truth of who Jesus is. And so why don't we spend a couple of minutes now I'd love you to think and reflect on those names, Rock and Redeemer. And I'm just going to come and play just some really quiet music for a couple of minutes. And why don't you just run through those questions in your mind and see if there's anything particular that God would like to show you today. Oh, so can we pop the questions back up again, please, Mike? No, we can't. Okay, don't worry. So... The questions were, so pick a name. Is it Rock or Redeemer? Which one kind of just sticks out to you today? What is it that God might be trying to say to you? 
through that name. Maybe from something that Dickie said, maybe from the Bible verses that we read. And then what's your response to that today? Maybe it's something personal. Maybe it's something for someone else. Let's spend a couple of minutes just thinking about that. And so maybe you're in a difficult place. And what does it mean for God to be your rock in this situation? Or as Richard said, Jesus is our redeemer. He can save us from the most difficult circumstances, the most desperate situations. Perhaps that's something you want to talk to him about this morning. this happy face was being put on over the sad face and I felt like God was saying um, you know maybe there's um, some of us who've who've been working through some difficult stuff and just allowing that sad face to be shown that tough stuff that you're going through but something's happened and you're feeling like you need to cover that up with that happy mask um, and I felt like, especially this morning where God said, I, I am your rock, you can always come back to me and to allow that sadness to, to just to work it through with him and not be tempted to just put a mask on over it. Um, and just that he is, yeah, that he says, you can always come back to me. Let's do this together. Um, and to just avoid that temptation to cover up again and to 